0: you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, that's what we're going to do. We're going to be looking at our work. Is it what we want it to be? You know, one of the questions we've got today is, how can I make a quick thousand bucks? We're going to have some fun with that. How do you make a quick thousand bucks? Even if you've got a job and you aren't going to make a major change, how do you just get out there and generate some extra cash? So we'll be looking at that. Hey, this is Dan Meller. Each week we take your questions, real live life questions about work. How do we find or create fulfilling, meaningful, purposeful, and profitable work? You all have great questions each week. Here's some of the things we're going to be looking at. How can we protect against fraud and theft in our cloth diaper business? How do I get out of a family business that doesn't fit me? Dan, when you're unemployed and looking for work and you get a job offer, are you in any position to ask for more money? What jobs are there for me as a convicted felon? How can I be excellent in my nonprofit job and still have a life of my own? Now we've got a whole lot of things to cover and we're going to spend some time talking about these creative ideas you can do just to generate some extra cash on the side. That's a common issue, a common concern, and certainly a realistic thing that we can look at. Well, we're now in the third month of the year. The year is going past quickly. I can't believe we're already in a third month of a brand new, what still feels like a brand new year. But here we are trucking through. I've got a quotation for us to start with today. Now, this has been said by a lot of people, but I read it recently in John Maxwell's book, Failing Forward, and he says, if at first you do succeed, try something harder. Now, that's one of those quotations that have been passed around a lot out there, but I love the thought. If at first you do succeed, try something harder. Sometimes people pride themselves in always being successful, and hey, that's cool. I mean, we want to be successful, but if you've never stubbed your toe then it's a real reasonable question. You know, have you stretched enough to really unlock the best that you possibly could do? Now I know we've talked about failure a lot the last couple of weeks. I'm not going to go back into that, but it's just one of those things to really be looking at. If you always succeed, golly, stretch a little bit, do something where you would have the possibility of failure, where you would have to risk some to do that. I've, When you see somebody who's always succeeded, chances are they really haven't done anything spectacular. Chances are they've done things that are pretty mediocre. Now, I appreciate your comments on the podcast link. I always put show notes in there. I've got some things today that I'll put in the show notes so you can go there to check those out. But you can comment on the 48days.com website there and certainly make comments as well on the iTunes podcast that helps us stay at the top of the rankings like we tend to do in the career and business section. I appreciate that. Let other people know about the podcast. The biggest reason people come into the 48 days.net community is because they're podcast listeners. The podcast is the first thing. Then they hear about the other things we're doing. So I want to tell you about some of the other cool things we're doing as well. One of those certainly is the 48 days.net community where it's just, uh, there's no membership fee. It's just a place where people can share ideas and resources and golly, do they ever do that? I mean, it's amazing to watch the hundreds of interactions going on at any given time, the active groups that are on there, speakers groups, writers groups, making money groups, real estate groups, everything you can imagine, a called woman group. There's just all kinds of groups that are very active in and on their own right, even apart from the larger community. But the 48days.net community, check that out. If you aren't a member already, join us there. You'll be amazed at the resources you can find there to accelerate your own path towards success. Now, I heard a phrase just this morning on the radio that really piqued my interest. It's, again, a common phrase, but it's called the gambler's fallacy. I don't want to talk about that a little bit because I think it relates so much to what I see in a whole lot of different situations. Now, the gambler's fallacy is this. I'll I'll just give you a real simple example. If we flip a coin and it comes up heads four times in a row, what are we thinking is going to happen on the fifth flip of the coin? I mean, we know it's got to be tails. If we got four heads in a row, the odds are in our side, man, we could bet I mean, we could bet 10,000 bucks. The next one is going to be tails, right? That's the gambler's fallacy. Because in that example, what are the chances that the fifth flip of the coin is going to be heads or tails? You know what? It's 50-50. A coin has no memory. It has no memory of what already happened. The odds are exactly the same on the fifth flip as they were on the first. 50-50, heads or tails, But we get into this gambler's fallacy where we think, oh, my gosh, all this has happened. Surely this has got to happen. So you see, you know, Joe and Sam are at the racetrack betting on horses. And Joe says, man, look at that horse over there. He lost his last four races. I'm going to bet everything I've got on him. And Sam is like, why would you do that? Based on his track record, he's going to lose. No, 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 no. You know, he says, because he's lost four times, the odds are going to, in my favor, he's going to win. Well, that's a horrible logic. That's a horrible logic. But that, we see that happening in a lot of situations. An interviewer who has interviewed four really poor candidates, you know what, the fifth one comes in and she thinks, oh my gosh, this guy's got to be a winner. And she can artificially inflate that person's fit for the job. Happens all the time. Gamblers' fallacy. A reviewer might see ten great movies, and they might really have been great movies. But he'll begin to think, "Man, there's got to be some bad ones in here," and so he artificially criticizes the next movie that they see. How can this work for us? And I know a young lady who was just refused government housing. She thought she had a five thousand dollar tax refund coming. And it did not come. She did not get it. She's being hounded by creditors. Her car broke down. Now, is this a string of bad luck? Is her luck about to turn? Is the fact that she's had so much bad luck? Now, certainly, just the natural consequences are going to be that she's going to have all the doors of opportunity open up to her. No, probably not. Her string of bad luck is just the natural consequences of bad decisions. As an example, she's refused government housing because she lied on her application. She lied about being married and they found out about it. Well, that's a long story. So happens that at this point, her husband's back in prison. She may in fact get government housing, but that's why it was refused. You know why she didn't get her $5,000 tax rebate check? Because the government knows that a couple years ago, she got fired from a job. She lost a job. She collected workman's comp. She got another job and she continued to deposit and cash her unemployment checks for an extended period of time. That's a no-no. They track that. They flag that. Sure, the $5,000 she thought she was going to get. Nope, they took it. Every bit of it. She's being hounded by creditors. How unfair for somebody's already down. Well, she has a mountain of student loan debt that she's never paid a penny on. They expect that to be paid. She's never paid a penny on it. Car broke down. When do you think the last time was she put air in the tires or changed oil? Probably never happened. See, this isn't bad luck. This isn't, we can't use a gambler's fallacy and thinking, oh, wow, things are going to change for it. No she's likely to continue in the same pattern of bad results because of making bad decisions. Now, how can this work for us? I mean, we don't have to think that things just even out over time. Sometimes I find people apologizing for how well things are going, you know, and they start to think, Oh geez, when's that, when's that other shoe going to drop or things have just been too good. I mean, have you ever heard somebody say that you know, You may, you may be thinking that about yourself, apologizing for how well things are going. And you start to think, wow, when is something bad going to happen? Well, don't do that. If you're making good decisions, you can expect to experience a continuing string of good results. Don't get trapped in that gambler's fallacy. Just a good concept to kind of keep in mind. I want to share that fun stuff. Well, Tom from San Diego says, Dan, I love the philosophy on personal finance that you've spoken about recently earn your way to a financial need instead of trying to save your way. It seems many of us default to the savings route or attempt to cut our expenses more, which can be very limiting, especially if we are already living moderately while the earning highway can be limitless. You also shared a way you would raise a quick thousand dollars if needed by buying a card at auction, cleaning it up and then reselling it. Do you have some other quick $1,000 ideas you can share with us? Maybe that could be a future ebook. I would buy one. Thanks for all your inspiration, Tom. Well, Tom, thanks. I, I've put together a lot of lists like this. As a matter of fact, I've got 48 low-cost business ideas, which are essentially that. I'll, I'll shoot you a copy of that, Tom. I'll give you a copy of that. 48 low-cost business ideas. If you want to, if you're listening, you want to check that out, just go to the 48days.com products. You'll see it there. 48 days, 48 low cost business ideas. I did that as a result of being on a radio interview one time and a lady asking, are there really any ways for women to contribute family income while still being primary caregivers for their children staying at home? Well, certainly there are. There's all kinds of things, but let's just talk a little bit about what are some of the ways that you can make a thousand bucks quickly? Well, I talked about yeah, for me, being a car guy, it's easy to go to a repo auction, get a car, clean it up, park it in the front yard. Boom, there's $1,000 margin in all kinds of cars in in doing that. And I've got friends that do that repeatedly. It's funny, I got one friend who lives on a main road here just outside of Franklin, Tennessee. Jeez, he fronts a car continuously. And it usually takes about a week to sell one. I think, man, oh man, he is flipping a lot of cars And I'm sure making big margins on them. But I I love that kind of concept. The quickest thing that I know to do is provide a service for somebody. I mean, paint a house. There ought to be some kind of skills that you have that you could put to work. Paint a house. Boom. I did that all the way through graduate school. That's what I did. I never would work by the hour. I always bid the project and then I would do it on my own time. And I like doing that. I love seeing a dramatic change People are always impressed when they see a dramatic change. And I made, you know, made decent money, made money to take care of our family easily when I was going to school without having a job or something that I was locked into time wise without having some kind of a long-term commitment. It was just a way to continuously just make chunks of money. You could drive an elderly couple, a high school reunion and my gosh, my dad, up until the time he was 88 years old, did that. He was driving the Amish people because they don't drive and yet they need to go to funerals and reunions and weddings and to the doctor and so on. So he would drive them. And this was years ago now, but he was at the time, I think, getting a dollar per mile. Well, you calculate your gas expenses, but could you in fact drive somebody, an elderly couple to a high school reunion? And it's 500 miles away and you get a thousand bucks for doing that. Have a little bit for gas, but they take care of your overnight expenses and food. And yeah. What if you did window washing, man? I worked with a lady one time who had just discovered that her husband was leaving her. She had four small children, full-time mom. She was panicked. She was in desperate shape, financially. And, You know, just came to me asking, you know, where can I get a job? Well, she didn't really have skills that would make her a candidate for getting something more than like an eight to $10 an hour position. So I suggested that we look for something more creative. And here's what we came up with. I had her literally go to Walmart and purchase a bucket and a squeegee. With that, she took her oldest child with her. She went up and down um, one one of the business streets in South Nashville, over in Nolensville Road, offering to clean their windows she found a receptive market for her services and discovered she could make 50 to $60 an hour by bidding jobs in advance. Again, I told her you don't work by the hour you bid a job. So you tell them it's going to be $180 to clean your windows. Boom. And she found that she could, she had ready receptivity for that, including places like Walmart, but big department stores. They were welcomed, welcomed her in doing that. She with one of her son's, and could find that they could make decent money doing that now i have uh, again i just had yesterday a, a truck pull in my drive here way back off the road and dump a load of wood chips this is one of those funny things that i've been playing with for years now but years ago I noticed there were several tree companies out here in the neighborhood trimming trees. They always in the spring trim back from the electric lines and so on. And then there's, you know, just maintenance work on my neighbors. Well, they have to drive out of town about 12 miles to a place to dump their wood chips. Well, golly, these are wood chips. I mean, there's pine in there, there's cedar, there's all kinds of, you know, really great wood chips that I'd love to use on my nature trails and playground areas for the grandkids and all that. And I just simply ask them, would you guys like to have a place right here where you could dump this rather than having a driveway out there? Well, they thought, my goodness, you got to be kidding me. What a a great relief for them to not have to waste all the time driving out of town. And so they started dumping here. And I've had probably in the last five or six years, probably between 100 and 120 truckloads of mulch dumped here. I give it away to the neighbors, but we use a lot of it on our property. We have 10 acres, so we use a lot of it on our property. But I have neighbors that say, wow, can I buy some of that? And I'm thinking, you got to be kidding me. It was free. But if I wanted to start a business, could I in fact do that? I have an unlimited supply of wood chips. I could haul that to people. I mean, have a little pickup truck and just take them a pickup load and charge them 85 bucks for it, whatever, you know, dump it. Could I create a playground area? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the ideas go on and on. When I was in graduate school, another thing that we did, Joanne made custom tailored clothing for hard to fit women. Now, I won't describe any of them. You you got the mental image in your mind, hard to fit women. She made clothing for them. They couldn't walk into a store and take things off the rack. So she did that and found that she could easily make five, 600 bucks a week just making clothing for these ladies. And they loved her. One of the ideas that I do have in the 48 low cost business ideas is plant rental. Now, this is a really cool idea because what you will find is that a lot of business buildings love having the ambiance of nice plants there, but they don't want the hassle of taking care of them, of fertilizing and watering. And, you know, I mean, that is kind of a skill to be able to do that well. So if you can do that well, you can buy plants and what you can expect to do is recover the total cost of the plant in the first 90 days. So obviously your job is to keep them looking nice indefinitely but to recover your total cost in 90 days, then you go into total 100% profit, 100% cash flow from then on. I mean, what a cool kind of business is that? I mean, that's an amazing profit margin. And I know some people who have done that extremely well. When one of my sons, Jared, was about 14 years old, he started asking about what he could do to make extra money. Well, the common thing for a 14-year-old to do, we lived in a community that had 433 homes in it. It's Cottonwood Subdivision. It's just on one of the edges of Franklin, Tennessee here where we still live. But we don't live in that community anymore, but that's where we lived then. 433 homes. Now, the common thing for a kid to do would be deliver newspapers or mow ons Well, What are you going to run into? A whole lot of competition. There's a whole lot of other 14 year olds who are scrambling to make summer money as well. What could you do that would be unique? What is it that you can do that would make you remarkable? Well, one of the things, one of the unique skills Jared had was he was very good mechanically and working on bicycles. His older brother, my oldest son, was a bicycle racer. Jared was the guy who always kept things running. So we put out a flyer. We put it out twice during the course of the summer and the flyer said, This week's special, $5 flat repair, free pickup and delivery. Now think about it. What's the biggest pain if one of your kids has a problem with a bicycle? Gee, you got to put it in the Lexus, hope you don't scratch the paint, tie the trunk down, haul it somewhere, get it fixed, then repeat the process to bring it home. Free pickup delivery? That's pretty cool. That's That's a real high USP, unique selling proposition. We put that flyer out on about half of these homes and it kept Jared totally booked the entire summer because here's the deal. What do you think is true of most bicycles that have a flat tire? They also need other things. So we'd call them up and say, Hey, I notice, you know, the chain is dry. The handlebars haven't been adjusted. You know, it really needs to be tuned up. I'll do a tune up for 69 bucks. Oh, okay. Go ahead and do that. And we found that he could very effectively make two to 300 bucks a week as a 14 year old without us having to take him to work anywhere. He, his responsibility was he would hoof it to go get the bikes and wheel them back home. Not a big deal. The houses were close together, but he could just do that graffiti removal I'll get off by horse here I could go on forever on ways to make a thousand bucks but when we lived just south of Franklin here in one of the places you would have to go through an underpass of the railroad you had to go under it twice on the way down the road down to our house so it was a one lane real narrow place the cars had to go very slowly well the sides were very close to the cars Matter of fact, my daughter-in-law took off the side of their van one time going through there, but the cars, the, the sides were very close to the cars. That was a very attractive place for hoodlums, teenagers to put graffiti and they would put their gang slogans or obscenities or whatever on there. Well, I just made it a game. I thought, Hey, I can outlast these punks. No problem. I took cans of white spray paint and they'd, Spend a lot of time. They'd spend three hours some night putting their amazing design on there. And the next morning, I'd go buy with a can of white spray paint and just cover it. I, I bought white spray can paints by the case. I just had them in my car, in my truck. So I was ready at any time. I could just pull off the side of the road and just cover it. And I weaned those kids from doing that to ultimately those things stayed clean month after month after month. Now that being said, are there places where you could get paid to do graffiti removal? And I didn't look to get paid for that. I just wanted our neighborhood to stay clean. But you could get paid to do that? Absolutely you could do that to remove graffiti from storehouse walls. You know, to just you could contract to keep it off of there monthly and set yourself up to be that person. You know, a couple of the TV shows that I really enjoy are American Pickers and Storage Wars. American Pickers, you know, where Mike and Frank, Mike lives right here in Franklin, incidentally. They just opened a place here in the old Marathon Automotive Manufacturing Plant in Nashville for the stuff they get in American Pickers. But these two guys travel around the country, stop in, see things in people's yards, stop in, And buy things, buy old memorabilia, collectibles, old Indian motorcycles and old, you know, gasoline signs and gas pumps and things like that. I love that. I love watching them negotiate with people. I mean, could you do that? Just go around and find things that people consider junk, but you find it, clean it up, resell it. Yeah, absolutely. Storage wars. I mean, that's another similar concept where people don't pay the rent in their storage units and ultimately they're sold at auction. I mean, it's a very real phenomenon. You can find that any town, no matter where you live, you can find those opportunities. Storage wars. You bid on a storage unit, you own it. You don't go in and evaluate everything, but you get a quick look and then you just simply bid on it. Well, if you find something, I mean, last night I watched a segment and a young couple had a piece in there that was some kind of an exotic seismograph. It was a replica, but they took it to a museum. They had purchased the unit for like 150 bucks. And they took this one piece to a museum and had it appraised for $3,500. I mean, how cool is that? I feel bad for the people who are giving up the things in a storage unit, but I mean, they've gotten plenty of notices about having to pay to maintain the right to the merchandise. So it's just a legitimate part of business, but yeah, that'd be a way to do it. Buy storage units, reposition the merchandise there. If you get 48 low cost business ideas, incidentally, if you purchase that at the end of that list of 48 things that I've got really clearly laid out, how you can do those I link to another 999 ideas and then another 90, 998 ideas and then another 100. I mean, the, the list of things like this is inexhaustible. And if you've got a little ingenuity and persistence, you can do things that will, in fact, make you that thousand bucks that you're looking for to add your income. Well, hey, we blasted through golly, we blasted through the first half of the show. I got a whole lot of questions to get to here, but you are listening to 48 Days Online Radio. I'm your host, Dan Meller. If you've got a question, you can go to 48days.com site, click on the podcast link. You'll see a little place there. You can write in your question or you can use the speak Pipe. Just click on that, start talking and leave your question there. I'd be happy to consider that for an upcoming podcast. Jason from Colorado says, Dan, I'm a 32 year old searching for a second career. I enjoyed listening to your car selling tactics and I'm hoping to make a side income flipping cars. Well, we kind of pick up here with continuation. I have a 09 Ford Ranger that I'm going to sell for a profit. I should have $7,000 starting capital from that sale. Here are my questions. What's a good starting sum for flipping cars? What type of car would you recommend I purchase first? Where would you recommend I purchase the first car? eBay, Craigslist, or local owner. Thanks in advance. All right, let me take your questions real quickly. One, two, three. What's a good starting sum for flipping cars between two dollars and $3,000? Where you can sell them for that. You can go out, I mean, that that's a price where somebody will get a tax return and have the cash money or somebody will have saved up a little bit, not have to get financing. It just makes a transaction a whole lot easier. And you can make 500 bucks or a thousand bucks on a $3,000 car just as easily as you can on a $10,000 car. But usually the transaction is a whole lot easier. So I would say stay in that where you can sell them between the two to $3,000 range, maybe even up to $4,000 to do this on the side. And you can find cars, I mean, trust me, I just just bought a little van. I mean, I got a guy who's really struggling. I know I'm going to help him out, but I just bought a little van, a nice Ford Windstar van. I mean, this thing is clean as a whistle and just runs out really nicely. Nothing wrong with it. Doesn't need anything. I paid $1,100 for it. You can find cars like that all day long. Now, that one I got, I think I connected with a guy through Craigslist on that. You got to be quick. craigslist because if it really is a deal it'll sell i mean it'll sell really quickly what type of car would you recommend i purchase first if you're going to sell cars i really recommend that you have a particular genre of cars now you can make that be in a particular price range so you give yourself some leeway there but if you're really going to expand i would consider being a specialist in a particular kind of car. So if you have Hondas or Toyotas or Volvos, or if you want to do exotic stuff or old muscle cars, but you, you become known as the guy to go to for a particular genre of cars rather than just being a generalist all over. Where do you recommend uh, purchase the first car? Anywhere you want. I purchased cars on eBay, Craigslist, sitting in the front yard of people at garage sales, through word of mouth, somebody will call me and say, Dan, I've got a neighbor that I know his, his wife just died. He's got a really nice car she had. You know, would you be interested? People know that I, you know, buy cars and give away to needy people. So, but, but I, I get them in all kinds of methods and you can do the same eBay is a little tougher to really snag a deal. I mean, they're really going to bring market value there. Craigslist, you don't have that competitive bidding. So if you jump right on some and go out and you see a car and offer them 1500 bucks, can you sell it for 3000 Yeah, that's not unusual. I mean, there are a lot of reasons people want to sell things on Craigslist. They just want the money. And if you go out with money in hand on a Saturday morning, look at 10 cars, you can get amazing deals on two of them. Great question. Well, here, a question comes from Quinsalar. Quinsalar. Dan, I need your help. How to become an entrepreneur. I've had this dream. So I started to clean my credit last year in February. I had a credit score of 545. As of today, I now have a credit score of 715. I even bought a house now. I want to get a franchise. But most, most of them, you have to have a capital investment of $400,000 or more. With that being said, I want to take care of my family and my church with this new wealth. I want to teach my family how to become business owners and only have $3,000 in my savings. Please help me. Oh, yeah. She says, I'm a single mom living on one income. I'm also attending college. I have a mortgage, a car, student loans, and help my grandparents. Don't. Here's my response. Quinn Thank you for your question. Don't go into debt for a franchise. I mean, with what you've already got on your plate, single mom, attending college, mortgage, car, student loan, Don't. Bury yourself with more debt that would be required for a franchise. Do something where you can start with the capital you have. Now that's not as limiting as what you might think. You have $3,000. I worked with a young couple one time. His name was Giuseppe Squillace, an Italian name, no doubt. And he, he was selling like windows and aluminum siding, you know, at night, just setting appointments. He would go out and sell things, not excited about it, but just making a living. And really wanted to do more. Was really frustrated, feeling kind of stuck. And I said, what would you like to do ultimately? He said, oh, someday I'm going to have an Italian coffee house. I said, cool. What would it be called? Cafe Milano. Gee, what would you serve there? What kind of food would you serve in addition to the drinks? What kind of artwork would be on the wall? He says, well, I don't have any money. I said, I don't care. It doesn't matter. You know, you tell me, what would it look like? Let's clarify your dream." I said, I want you to check out Gloria Jeans and some of the other franchises. I want you to check out Starbucks and what they do. He did. He came back discouraged. He said, Yeah, I checked them all out. They all want me to buy a franchise and they tell me it will take between a hundred and eighty and two hundred and twenty thousand dollars. I said, That's okay. What kind of music would you play in your coffee house? Would you actually want to perform? I knew that he enjoyed music and he would in fact perform. Who would you invite in to play? here's the long story I said, we're going to start this based on what you have. He rent. I helped him negotiate rent on a place with 700 bucks a month, which is an amazing deal. It was right next to an Italian restaurant. We exposed on the one wall, what was a brick wall on the side that would have joined the, Italian restaurant, pulled up the carpet on the floor. He did a splash paint treatment on the floor, got used tables and chairs, did a, just a splash paint treatment on those to give kind of the shabby chic look. He opened that coffee house with less than $5,000. Most of that was in the espresso machine, which he put on one credit card, but he opened it with less than $5,000. And everybody said you have to have $200,000 to do that. No, you don't start with what you have. Now that Little place was immediately an over overnight kind of success. People like Amy Grant and Phil Driscoll and people like that play at play in there uh, went on. There's another chapter, of that story I'll save for another day, but start with what you've got. Don't go into debt for a franchise. Start with what you've got, the capital that you've got and build from there. Andy from Goshen, Indiana says, I've been a follower for a long time. You've helped me in many ways. When I started searching for meaningful work, it wasn't long after I was laid off. Fast forward three years, I've been employed as a seatbelt designer while starting my own pet waste removal business. Recently, my wife and I bought a cloth diaper company. DiaperHQ.com. Our unique selling proposition is that we will ship a free test drive kit to try the diapers before buying. Since this is the biggest fear for most people, it's really starting to take off. My question is now that we're starting to ship all over the country, do you have any suggestions on how to protect from fraud and theft? Since these kits are worth hundreds of dollars, we're already having them fill out an agreement and to provide their credit card information. Let me know your thoughts. Yeah. Love what you're doing, Andy. Love how you've progressed. Now you've got your own cloth diaper business. I did go there and look at it. Boy, that's a hot item right now. I've got grandbabies popping out left and right. And I know the concerns of moms and dads about disposable and what that does to landfill and also the health factors. Now, here's the deal. People who are going to order a test kit of cloth diapers are very low risk customers. These are people that want to be ecologically responsible. They're concerned about the quality of care for their children. They want to make good financial decisions. They've already given you their credit card information. You have very little risk involved. You're dealing with a really great group of prospective customers. Now, are you going to have one out of a hundred that just isn't responsible enough to return or follow through? Sure. So just build that into your business model. But I just go forward. Don't, Make it so restrictive on the front end that people are cautious about doing business with you. Uh, don't, don't make it a, appear that you're mistrusting of them. Just go ahead and just account for those one or two out of a hundred times where you may not get it back. But in general, you, you're dealing with a great group of people. You don't need to worry about them trying to take advantage of you. Matt from Jeffersonville, Indiana. Dan, I love your message. Listen to the podcast regularly on your last week's podcast. You told my story graduated a few years ago with a degree. I'm not using two jobs since then. I don't really like at all. Now I'm 27 looking for my calling. My problem is that my current job is in the family business, but I don't want to be this to be my career. I have an entrepreneur's heart, but how do I create an exit strategy from this business that I'm expected to own and operate one day? It's a small business and I'm not sure what will happen to it and the team when my dad retires. golly, i see now that you say, please conceal my name and location. I didn't do a very good job of that. We're just going to, Hey, Fred, (laughs) we're just going to assume family members aren't listening to the podcast. Let me deal with this in general. Getting out of a family business can be tough. I mean, we, we really know that. I mean, I'm not going to make light of the dynamics involved there, but be clear on where you want to be three years from now. I mean, if you're married, you and your wife sit down, you guys decide where you want to be personally three years from now. This is your life you're living. Life is too short to try to live it on somebody else's track. I mean, you've got to decide where you want to be. If the family business is not a fit, then be open about that and create an exit plan. Here's what is likely to happen. If it's not a fit, chances are people already detect that. Chances are it's not really a secret that your heart's not in it. I mean, Cliff Ravenscraft, you hear me talk about him as the podcast answer guy who has helped me do lots of things with my podcast. He was working for his dad in his dad's insurance agency with the expectation that it would ultimately be his business. He just got more and more unhappy there, knew he didn't want to be there. Ultimately, he told his dad, you know what his dad said? I wondered how long it was going to take you to get up the guts to tell me. I mean, his dad was like, my gosh, don't do this if your heart's not in it. Cliff has gone on and done some amazing things in his own business. Chances are you're going to get that kind of response. Don't assume that everybody is going to force you to stay there. If people are concerned about you as an individual and love and care about you anyway, they're going to want things that are best for you. I mean, that would be counterintuitive if they tried to force you into something that they knew you weren't really enjoying. Nobody wants that for their children. So just be honest about it. But first, start by being clear about where you want to be and then be honest and create an exit strategy. Elijah from Missouri said, is enjoying my work worth losing 25% of my current income and having to work two jobs to make ends meet? Now, listen to this scenario. I currently am employed in a managerial position in a job I'm not passionate about. Don't look forward to going to every week. I've been offered another management position as a range manager at an indoor shooting range, which I would enjoy more than my current job, but it's still not completely in line with my passions, but it's more enjoyable. I would be taking a 25% pay decrease. I'm already not making much money and would be forced to take on another job to make ends meet despite having no debts and a very tight budget. I would greatly appreciate any insight and wisdom you can offer. So here's the question. Should he take? 25% drop in income to do something that's a little more enjoyable. No, but here is the underlying assumption, the underlying assumption that you either stay in a job you don't enjoy or take this one that you enjoy a little bit more, but with even less pay. Don't assume you have A and B. Look for solutions. C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, I want mean, I really believe there are that many alternate solutions. Look for and solutions. Look for jobs where you would enjoy it more and be paid more. Don't assume that this is the only opportunity. Do an aggressive job search. Uncover things that accomplish both. Not where there's a further compromise. Nope. Wouldn't do that at all. Eric from Nashville. Dan, do people who are high C's in the disc profile more likely get stuck in the process of finding their passion or niche because of their tendency to overthink everything before making a decision? If so, what advice do you have in getting the ball rolling again? So are people who are real detailed, real methodical, real logical, gather lots of facts and information before making decisions, can they tend to get stuck finding their passion and never make a move. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. And yes. We see that all the time. Yeah. They just keep gathering information. They get stuck in paralysis by analysis. How do you get the ball rolling again? That's why I say 85% of the process and power of having the confidence proper direction in your career comes from first looking inward, understanding what you should know about yourself. If you understand that you are a high C, you may understand that your tendency is to just keep getting information and never pull the trigger. Now I, on the other hand, I'm at the other end of the scale. So I, my motto is ready, fire, aim. Well, your process may be ready, aim, 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 aim. And we never get to fire. Just understand that's your tendency. When I work with somebody who is a high C and says, gee, I'm tired of being an accountant. I really want to have my own business. I tell them right up front, my concern is that we'll evaluate 10 great ideas and you'll find the fatal flaw in every single one of them before we do anything. You'll get to the yes, but you'll see why it won't work. So if you know that's your tendency, just counter against that, recognize that if you're 70% comfortable with something, you may be ready to go ahead and pull the trigger and move in that get others around you whose personality wiring is different so they can say, gosh, this looks like a no brainer to me. Yeah, go ahead and do it. And then when you do it, be prepared to do it without looking back for one year. Don't allow yourself to second guess yourself because the first month you're going to have things you didn't anticipate. You're going to have challenges you didn't foresee. You're going to have obstacles that you think you can't get past. Just be determined to stick with it for at least one year without allowing yourself that net of second guessing yourself and bailing. Scott says when you're unemployed and looking for work and get a job offer, are you in any position to ask for more money or even extra vacation time? I would think you just take what you can get when you're unemployed and not sure that you're going to get another job offer soon. Well, if you're doing a well-organized job search, you should get multiple offers in a short period of time. Now, let me comment on this a little bit, because how do most people do a job search? They just kind of stick their toe in the water. So they may contact two companies a month. This is why we're told that the averages are that it takes one month for every $10,000. So if you want to find a $60,000 year position, it's going to take you six months to find that. I mean, that's absurd. The reason it takes so long is because the way most people do a job search. They contact one or two companies a month, and then another one or two, and then finally somebody says, well, yeah, we'll offer you this job, but now it's not really what you want. It's a little more money, but it's not, it's a farther drive to work. It's going to require more time, not some of the other benefits. But you think, well, I really need to go ahead and take, or being unemployed. I mean, the same thing. The question here, Scott, is if you're unemployed, the same thing. I mean, we see people who, I I hear people say, well, I've got six months of unemployment. Guess what they do the first four months? They contact eh, one or two companies a month. I'm thinking, you got to be kidding me. If I had six months of unemployment the first month, I would contact 50 companies the first month. So I would be in a position to negotiate. And if you, here, here's what happens. If you go out here, if you are selling water softeners and you come out here in the country, like where I live, where a lot of us are on wells and you knock on doors. And we know statistically that one out of 25 doors you knock on, they're going to buy a water softener and you're going to make a $1,500 profit in doing that. So we know that, you know, that you're a sales guy. You can go out and knock on one door a day for the next 25 days. Not knowing where that one is, it may be number 25. Not knowing when that is. What do you think I'm going to do? I'm going to be banging on 25 doors this afternoon. I'm going to get through all those no's that quickly so I find the yes in that group of 25 people. That's what I'm going to do. How do I recommend you do a job search the same way? If you have a list of 25 prospective companies, which you ought to have put together, contact them, send out cover letter, send out the introduction letter, do the phone follow up, do that, have an aggressive burst of focused activity for 30 days. And you're going to get multiple job offers in doing that. Then even if you're unemployed, you can be confident. This is not going to be the only job offer you get had a young guy. And I, I, chronicle this in 48 days to the work you love. But had a young guy one time who would come to me fresh out of college, had a degree in like chemistry, you know, something not really very usable, but he wanted to have a particular kind of job. And so I helped him put together a job search. He was just green as could be, but a really personable young guy, great guy to be around. I knew people would want him on their team. He went out, started interviewing, boom, got a job offer, wanted to come by and go to lunch with Joanna and me. This is what we still had offices up in Brentwood and he wanted to take us to lunch and tell us about the job offer. I listened to him all the way through. I said, boy, this is great. You know, this is, man, this is just a sign of things to come. This is great. Tell him no. And he was like, you gotta be kidding me. They're offering me more money than I've ever dreamed of making in my life. Why would I tell him? I said, Chad, his name is Chad. I said, This is an offer. This is one offer of the ones you're going to continue getting. If you continue doing the job search, as we've laid out, this is going to be, this is not a great fit. This is not the dream job you described. This is just a job. Say no, thank them very much and continue your job search. Well, he got, and again, I talk about this in 48 days to the work you love. He got six job offers in 10 days. He was that great a candidate personally, Did he have that stellar background? No, but he got, and and he got a position. It really was an amazing position to be right out of college, but it came. I, I think it was actually about number four in the series of six that he was offered. So I would recommend you do that. If you feel like you're in a weak position, it's because you're not really being aggressive enough about the job search. You're letting too much grass grow under your feet. well, Okay. One more real quick. One, one more. And I'm going to, I'm going to bail here. Ricardo from Orlando. This is important to get in. I was searching for info on jobs for ex-felons, came across an article on the Dave Ramsey show where a guy who was also an ex-felon asked basically what I'm about to ask you. Dave recommended your book, which I'm now found out about. I found out about you. I bought it, read it in chapter two. It says, have you experienced any failure in your career? If so, what did it lead to my two felonies? were while in the army. It was domestic, got me kicked out of the army and a divorce. What jobs are there out there for me as a university grad? My passions are writing, blogging, hip hop, music business, teaching, leadership, music ministry development. Here's the deal. And I encounter lots of people like you and certainly a reasonable question. There are a lot of doors closed if you have a felony, even in the last seven years. It lasts a long time. Nobody will rent to you, nobody will sell you a car, nobody will give you a job. There's just a lot of blanket rules out there for traditional jobs. That is the critical factor. Recognize what a tiny portion of real work is lined up in traditional jobs today. I mean, we're rapidly approaching the time when only 50% of Americans will working Americans will be in traditional jobs, will be employees. The rest are gonna be independent contractors, freelancers. Contingency workers, temps, entrepreneurs, electronic immigrants, all those things that we hear new terms. Those are where you're going to find your opportunities. If you just beat your head against the wall trying to get a traditional job, you're going to be really discouraged. And I feel for you, but it's just the way it is. However, the things you describe, writing, blogging, hip hop, music business, teaching, leadership, music ministry, those things don't line up well with traditional jobs. Those things all line up in more creative, non traditional, entrepreneurial kind of methods of application anyway. So identify your skills in those areas. Trust me, if somebody's going to do landscaping on my property, I don't ask them, have you ever had a felony? If somebody's going to do Do a tree sculpture on our property. I don't ask them, Have you ever been convicted? If somebody's going to paint my house, I don't ask them, Do you have a felony? I mean, go through all the things that you would be a candidate for where you could do remarkable work, knock it out of the park. People would love you for what you're doing, and they're not going to be concerned about what degrees you have or about whether you ever had a felony. It's just not a part of the process. You don't need to be. You don't need to misrepresent. You don't need to lie, or deceive, nothing. It just doesn't come up as an issue. You don't have to be confronted with that. That's what I would recommend that you do. Well, great questions as always. Again, you can go to the 48days.com link and leave your question there. Be happy to include that. Lots of them we didn't get to today, but we'll work them in over the next few weeks i hope you're having a wonderful a spectacular 2013 check us out at 48days.net the growing community there come visit us we're getting ready for our innovate conference coming up here in march the end of march the end of this month we are going to have a blast at that people like mike hyatt going to be here dorsey mchugh uh, very successful artist. My wife, Joanne will be talking. I'm going to be telling you how to take your ideas and turn them into money. Join us for the innovate conference, our coaching with excellence conferences, other things that we'll be attending around the country, places where I'll be speaking or participating. Love to see you there. So, Join us. Let us know what you're doing. This is an exciting process. There are opportunities all around us. If we have our antenna up, we have our reticular activators in place. We have our eyes open. This is an exciting process. I'm glad you're on this journey with us of finding or creating work that is fulfilling, meaningful, purposeful, and profitable.